Welcome in again, all you rivals, rivals out there. You got FF underscore Walrus Sean Kennedy bringing you a back-to-back part two episode of our week one recap. Sitting here with me, we got Dave Wright. <laughs> I forgot who I was there. That, was a, that I, was a tough one. Yeah, that was a tough one. Oh my goodness. At FF underscore Spaceman on the tweet machine. And we're missing our friend Todd Foster here because we're recording these back-to-back at the same time to give you bonus content. For week one, we have a lot to say, a lot to get into. And Sean, do we have a bonus question of the day? We do. So we're going to light it up with a second one just to get the minds turning a little bit here. So Dave, disregarding the four major sports of football, basketball, hockey, and baseball, what is your most preferred, your most favorite sport to watch and why? So we're doing this on the fly and I'm not hesitating with this one and it's women's tennis. Absolutely love women's tennis. In my lifetime, the quality, the caliber of women tennis players has been amazing. I I prefer it over men's tennis because the power game in men's tennis, sometimes you don't get as many volleys and as much back and forth. Whereas in the women's game, I feel like you get a lot more volleys and it's a lot more intriguing visually to watch. And uh, through high school, I watched a lot of women's tennis. I, I haven't watched as much now as I'm older, but I really did enjoy women's tennis growing up. How about you, Sean? For me, it's, and this is going to be kind of a deep dive here because it's even hard to find on TV sometimes, it's curling. So you're basically an Olympics guy. I, yeah, I love the Olympics, winter Olympics especially, much more in on them than summer, which is just how I feel about the seasons too, anyway. Um, but yeah, curling, man, I love it. It's, it's harder than everyone thinks. Like, everyone out there in listener land right now that's laughing at me, being like, look at this idiot thinking curling is hard because it's just throwing a rock down ice and most people do it drunk. Try and do that stance. That like sustained slide that they do while they're getting the rock ready to go. It's next to impossible to hold that. You have to have the core of a god to be able to hold that position. I don't know. I love it's simple. It's accessible. But it requires a lot of thought. Basically for an unathletic person like myself, it's something that I feel like I could probably do if I get the core in shape. Um, But I just, (laughs) I love it. I love the intricacies of it. Like. Every time the Olympics are on, if it's a weekend or like when I was in college, it didn't matter what day of the week was, I'd get up at like three in the morning just to watch curling. I don't think this is a hot take. I think that is one of the most popular Olympic sports there is. And I, I know over the last eight to 12 years, there's been a, a boom in curling available for people to go and, and do, especially in Massachusetts. I know there's a couple of places have popped up. Absolutely amazing to watch too. It is, it is a great uh, thing to watch with your friends to drink to. Mm. And it just reminds me of how much I love shuffleboard, playing shuffleboard at bars oh, and stuff. Great game, yeah. So, uh, what about you? What about tennis with you, Sean? Are you? Did you? Is it my out of left field here for you, or what? I mean, I've I've heard you say that before. I think what I find most interesting because I actually, for the first time last year, watched a major tennis tournament, an open. Mm-hmm. It was when um, I can't. It was Nadal and Federer. Right, mm-hmm. went like an unbelievable, like they had this unbelievable back and forth. They kept playing. I mean, it was, I told my wife, I was like, yeah, I'll be home at one because I had to go to my parents and pick something up. And they're like, you got to <laughs> sit down, you got to watch this. I was like, I've never watched tennis. And they're like, oh, no, no. I think I got home at like, I think I got home at like seven o'clock that night. I remember us texting back and forth. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I love I mean, tennis. It's, man. it's incredible. It's, it's intense. It's edge of your seat the whole time. It's tense. I love it. It's just, it's interesting. I don't think I've watched enough to really find the distinction that you do between genderized tennis but hats off to you that's that's a lot of commitment a lot of time to be able to find that specific of a preference i i love all racket sports i feel like i'm very good at all racket sports and another one that i love playing too is pickleball i love pickleball oh man pickleball it just makes me think of gym class in high school oh god it was unbelievable unbelievable the drum (laughs) we had an intramural pickleball at at our high school and oh it was great times great how'd you do one year we went pretty far, and then I think we we struggled and a couple of other things. But we 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 had a couple of good runs. We had a couple of good runs because it was partners, par- partners pickleball. Ooh, and ba- badminton. I I love badminton. Ba- badminton at parties growing or like uh, barbecues growing up was phenomenal. Do you feel like that's played as much anymore? They play it in gym, my gym class at my high school that, that I work at. They play it all the time. Interesting, all the time. Well, good. That's awesome. All right, you ready to jump in? I am, Sean, and I'll just start off the question with you. We hinted it at the end here, and it started to bleed into some of my analysis on the tight ends, but Corey Davis has received a lot of hate in the past, a lot, a lot of hate, a lot of uh, glass jars of tears, 
from my tears. Peter Howard's a huge Peter Howard on Twitter. I know you haven't been on the tweet machine much, uh, Sean, but tweet Peter Howard was. I've never seen someone victory lap as hard as Peter Howard was when Corey Davis was going off. Uh, so that was a really enjoyable to watch. And yeah, so are you buying this fourth year breakout with with uh, Corey Davis? No, not at all. And I'm like, I'm almost mad that we're sitting here talking about it because it's just you. It's like fetch. You can't make fetch a thing. You can't make Devontae Parker a thing. You definitely can't make Corey Davis a thing. And I feel like I bring up Devontae Parker because obviously last year he broke the mold. He had his breakout. It finally happened. And I think all he did was poison the well. It's not going to happen. I've been telling Todd it's going to be the Preston Williams show, and we have a bet on it. I can't remember what it was for, but since he's not here, I'm going to say he agreed to shave his beard. Preston Williams <laughs> finishes ahead of Devontae Parker this year. I remember him <laughs> vehemently denying oh my God, refusing to do that. <laughs> um, but I just, I don't see it because, A, like you talked about in the last show, this isn't going to be a passing volume offense. And they're not going to be playing Denver every week. That's not a top defense anymore. I don't see why we should believe now. Because like Michael Scott says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times and strike you're out. <laughs> I agree that this is not going to be that many pass attempts. Uh, but he tied for the team leading targets, crushed everyone on the team in air yards. And if watching the game, I think he, cl- and not only just watching it, but hit the stats show from that he's a, he's a talented player. He's a talented player. I mean, maybe he was playing a bad cornerback. I actually don't know even the corner he was facing. So that, that could have been a thing where AJ Brown was getting all the attention and that. Corey Davis feasted doesn't matter because even because they they would turn down his fifth year option so if he can even flash where he can just show some consistent production where it's maybe no he's not going to go over produce like he did uh Monday night like he did for the rest of the season but if he can get a contract where he can get a good opportunity heading into next year he's going to make everyone who held on tightly in dynasty or someone who traded away five times and, and trade back for him six, to- <laughs> six times like I did, it's going to pay off. So I, that's how I think, Sean. I'm not going to sit here and think that this is Corey Davis' season. But if anything, if I don't, please don't just please don't kill A.J. Brown. Just don't muddy the waters. That's all oh, I ask. That's like the worst scenario possible. Corey Davis, is he going to be a, a wide receiver for the rest of the season, yes or no? A wide receiver for? Yes. So basically a flex option, is he a wide receiver for? We had in the show sheet, this was going to be a quick discussion. We're spending a lot of time, yeah, we're on, a lot of time on this. But yeah, wide no. receiver four. No? Okay, I'm going to say yes. Let's just do, this is just a friendly, We next time we see each other, that person buys a six-pack. Okay, I was going to say a sandwich. That works. Sandwich? Uh, I don't want food. Give me a six-pack. What's wrong with you? You don't want food? I know you're not a condiments guy, but like, come on. I don't you're know. Just, what kind are of you sandwich? just out on food altogether? What sandwich are we going to... Depends. It depends where we are. If I'm we're in pro- scared right, you know to what? ask you what your favorite kind of sandwich is. I'm not a big sandwich guy. Oh. I'm not a big sandwich guy. How do you live? I don't eat sandwiches. That's how I live. So you'll live forever, <laughs> not enjoying life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm my, my stomach says I enjoy it plenty. All right, <laughs> let's move on. Here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was way too much time for Corey Davis, which just makes me even more furious about it. So moving on to other wide receiver situations. We talked a lot about different ambiguous depth charts this offseason, what to do with them, how to play them. But one of the most talked about that we concentrated the most over was the New York Giants. And who is Darius Slayton in this offense? Who is Sterling Shepard? Who is Golden Tate? And Slayton was fantastic again. He had another multi-touchdown performance, over 100 yards, was far and away the top dog on that team on Monday night. Dave. Are you buying it? Is he for real? Is this it? Do we know now? Or are the muddy are the water still muddy because Golden Tate was out and everything else that was going on? I, I'm buying it. I think I don't I can't even imagine what his price is right now, but he had a twenty three percent target share, forty four percent of the team air yards, and he this was against Pitt. This wasn't against a bad defense or anything. I'm not saying that Pitt has amazing corners or anything, but this is a very good defense. Uh, He's, I, I for sure believe now that he's a wide receiver, one of that offense. And I need to seriously reevaluate in a way because if he's putting up this kind of numbers heading into year two, after he had a lot of positive things as a fifth round rookie, as a fifth round rookie last year, what he was able to do, and he's able to start off this way in year two, I need to seriously evaluate how I need, can move him up because there's a lot of guys that I really like that I don't want him to move him up over. But what Slayton's showing us, Sean? What 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 is what can we knock on him for? What what did he do wrong last it's, night? Yeah, I mean, 
six of nine for 102 and two is hard to shake a finger at. And I, I don't really think I can. And I don't know. I just, I don't know if I'm willing to buy it yet and be fully in. And I think, you know, Golden Tate was out. I don't think that means a ton. That's not like two years ago saying like, oh yeah, of course Juju went off. Antonio Brown was out. I think this is different because I don't think Golden Tate is leaps and bounds ahead of Slayton. But I think the only thing that still gives me pause is that we saw a lot from Slayton last year of these big, huge explosion games of 100 plus yards, two touchdowns. And then you would hear nothing from him for a couple of weeks in between. And I think, you know, like you said, Pittsburgh, great defense. And it's great that he was able to do this against that. But it seems also worth noting, like, yeah, on top, obviously you can say that they didn't have Golden Tate and that means something. But Saquon Barkley was unbelievably stifled by that defense. You know, I mean, there was some, for most of the night, I don't even know what he finished with, but for most of the night, he had negative yardage. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. Which just seems insane. He wasn't overly involved in the passing game until maybe like the second quarter. He ripped off this huge run. So that's not going to happen. That team is going to run through him, especially since Danny Dimes showed that, you know, he's going to be still kind of mistake prone here. He's going to hold the ball too long. He's going to throw some bad passes. So I think I'm not really willing to hang the crown on Slayton just yet, especially where, you know, last year of his eight touchdowns, six of them came in three games. All of, and they're all is over a hundred yards games because of course, you know, that would line up. So I'm not worried about Golden Tate, but I want to see him do it with Barkley being Barkley. Because even if Tate and Shepard and Ingram are going to carve off six targets for themselves, or, you know, six receptions, Barkley's going to carve off another 10. I just, I want to see how much that leaves for Slayton. And if he's intentionally being targeted out, or if he's just, if he was just there tonight or Monday night. I understand the hesitancy, and, and you'd, I'm not saying go sell the farm from right now but it, it's if people have him on if you have him on your roster especially where you're getting him and redraft people should be happy yeah oh yeah you can't be mad at it i think in if you don't have him you got to keep an eye on him because if he starts to pop and show that this is sustainable and this is for real if you don't get him within probably the next four weeks you're never going to all right so continuing with wide receivers somebody in here not naming names or anything, has been ridiculously bullish about A.J. Green. Like, concerningly bullish about A.J. Green. It's not, it hasn't been healthy. Yeah, no, certainly not. And from what you've seen, even though it's led you to a very questionable doctorate, which I'm assuming is from the country of Columbia instead of Columbia University. <laughs> King's College, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hamilton shout out there. But... How do you feel about A.J. Green and him being the wide receiver one on Cincinnati coming back in. Is there any doubt that he is that? Is it surely him? And just how do you feel about him moving forward? I just want to say that while I don't think we didn't get the blown art blow, like our doors weren't blown off by AJ green in week one, all of the signs that matter were extremely promising. And I just want to say, I guess, no, everyone's going to say, well, we don't know if you're going to stay healthy all season. Okay, yeah, you can say that all you want. But people were saying that he didn't have any talent anymore, too. That was a lot of people saying, oh, he's not as good as, as Tyler Boyd. That was a very, that was there, Sean. That was there. AJ Green had 25%, more than 25% of the target share. Uh, five of nine for 51 yards and 45% of the air yards market share. And my favorite, Sean, a .7 whopper, which is phenomenal. Ooh. So... He could have easily had two touchdowns as well. He had a, the offensive pass interference called him in the end zone at the end of the game, which I, I don't blame them, but come on. It's the end of the game. Let him fight for it. Let him fight for it. My buddy Chase at FF Intervention said that he also, I don't think I saw it, but he was also, Joe Burrow airmailed a wide open AJ Green in the end zone another time too. So if he had just gotten one of those touchdowns on two, I don't think I would. I would be insufferable. I think I would have. Had, you guys would have. You'd have just recorded solo this week, Sean. Because <laughs> I, 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 it would have been ugly. So only sixty-six percent of the snaps um, this week, and he admitted himself that he has to continue to work himself back into shape. Uh, so I expect that snap share to increase significantly. 
all systems go, I, I think he's a slam dunk top 15 wide receiver the rest of the season. Slam dunk. Hands down, he's wide receiver one in Cincinnati. You know, I, there's no way that Tyler Boyd is going to take that role from him while he's on the field. There's just, there's no chance. Like you said, I mean, questionable. I'm not a big fan of those calls at the end of the game. I think if you're going to call something, it needs to be glaring. Like if it's defensive, he just pinned the wide receiver's arms. If it was offensive, he dragged the corner down and then broke his route. Like you can't call ticky-tack ones on those kind of plays. But I think, like we said with some other people, but just in reverse, worth noting is that there was no preseason. He didn't really have time to get on the same page with Burrow. And he's working his way back up to full speed. And I think this is only going to get better. As he comes back, as he's more confident, as Burrow is more confident in himself and can get the ball to green more. But I don't know. I, I don't think I'm still, I'm not willing to buy 15 just because this team isn't that good. Well, we saw Joe Burrow, Sean. He he was he showed some glimpses at times. He at did. times he struck. He missed some. He missed some plays too. But I think there's reason for optimism. Yeah, I still think I'm going to be uh, sipping some nice, fine, fancy New Hampshire gin, courtesy of Doctor Spaceman, <laughs> come the end of the season. But it's it's great. I mean, you just you love to see a story of a guy like Green or anybody in that situation coming back and dominating. So that was fantastic. All right, Sean, next question. We've had a lot of fun with our Woods versus OBJ debate in Dynasty. What is it now? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's still the same, and I wish Todd was here so he could listen to us poo-poo all over OBJ. But he looked like, for most, I was watching it gleefully throughout the first half of that game where he looked like he might goose people this week. Because I think it was up until almost halftime, he was like zero catches on three targets. And all of this... In a bad game script, they needed to get rolling. They couldn't. I mean, they're playing They're playing the Ravens, so that's worth some consideration. But he is supposedly good enough that he should be able to rise above that. Todd will tell you that he's wide receiver one material. The wide receiver one material. And I think he barely had Jarvis to contend with because Jarvis, there's been all these questions about his health. He was in he had the hip surgery. No one knew whether or not he was even going to be active right up until he was. This was OBJ's chance to slam the door on anybody saying he doesn't have it anymore or he's never going to have it again or he never had it in the first place. Whatever the doubt is, this was his chance to put it all to bed. And I think all he did was stoke those fires. Not only does this whole offense look bad, but I don't know how much of the post-game stuff you saw. I did but not see any. At some point, one of the reporters asked Stefanski about OBJ and Baker and why it just seems like they cannot get on the same page. And what's going on there and what it's going to take to salvage it. And Stefanski didn't give you know a descript answer at all. But he publicly acknowledged that these two are not on the same page and aren't getting it done. With wow. no real look as to how that would change. And wow. it's not like this is a, he just came in and they have to get over the COVID preseason to adjust to each other. They had all last year. And nothing, nothing changed. We're looking at the same kind of thing. The route's aren't there. Baker's targets are off. They look like they're at odds with each other. And I just, I don't think that this is going to be good. Now on the other side of that, Robert Woods looked fantastic. He looked like he was worthy of all the praise that he got coming in. Everybody that was saying Woods is that team's wide receiver one. He, all he did was confirm that. So I think where Woods solidified everything that everybody wanted him to be, all OBJ did was just cast more doubt, make me happy as a clam and I'm sure that's partially why Todd doesn't want to be here today. <laughs> yeah, Todd doesn't have to help any students whatsoever. No, no. But that's good. You know what he can do? He can build a lesson to help his students on their poetry skills. So Todd can practice for when he has to write a poem to Robert Woods. <laughs> oh, man. OBJ's 129, 129 air yards might have been the meekest 100-plus air yard game I've seen in a long time. Uh, just, I have to, you know, Sean said it I mean, Sean was a little bit more uh, flair than I'm going to have, so I'm just going to cut to the core of it. I'm dropping OBG, OBJ down a few spots. I think I still had OBJ as my wide receiver 12 in Dynasty. I think I'm dropping him down below Julio, below um, Cortland Sutton now. And now I'm going to wait one or two more. But if we have one or two more games like this, which because I still think OBJ is good. I still i am not going to overreact to one game. But 
if is another game or two of this, and I think Robert Woods is going to is going to be ahead of OBJ before too long, and and OBJ is going to fall behind some of the rookies from this class. Ooh, behind some of the rookies. So that that that's where we could be at if, if this continues. If let me let me in the vein of knocking OBJ down a little bit here, which I'll always do. Throw a couple names at you. Dynasty rankings. Who do you have higher, Allen Robinson or OBJ? Oh, I had Allen Robinson ahead of him be- beforehand. Calvin Ridley or OBJ? Uh, OBJ right now. OBJ right now. What about Metcalf? I'm dropping OBJ behind Cortland Sutton, Julio Jones, and DK Metcalf now. Nice. Who does that put right behind him now? DJ Chark and CeeDee Lamb and Jalen Rager. Oh, good. So it's only a matter of time. He'll, yeah. just, he'll just keep on falling. I, I might have to move Calvin Ridley up too, who's below those guys. I think, yeah. I mean, two touchdowns. Two touchdowns last Yeah, he racked up some serious yak too. All right. So things have been pretty dark for Nikhil Harry. His dynasty value took a big hit. His rookie season was terrible. There's no spin you could put on it to say anything positive about it. It was just flat bad. But week one, pretty good. Came out, showed some chemistry with Cam. He finished with a stat line of five catches, 39 yards. Nothing really to write home about, but he was inches away from a touchdown. He fumbled out of the back of the end zone. Turnover, that's just that's unfortunate. So 539, had there been that touchdown, that's not bad from a rookie that everyone wrote off as dead. What do you think, Dave? Edelman and Harry both saw a 30-plus target share, which is, that is hot. That is a hot target share that usually the elites have over 25%, having over 30%. And mind you, Cam Newton threw the ball 19 times. Still, if this offense is going to be funneled through Edelman and Harry like this, and then Cam's rushing the ball and they have a lot of other, uh, and they're alternating all the other running backs in there, and maybe it's James White every once in a while, even in a low-volume offense, Edelman and Harry can eat. And Harry looked good. This is just an eye test thing because I, I can do that. You know, I, I do, I'm do. i not strictly a Excel spreadsheet guy. And my eye test, I thought Harry looked – I thought he looked good. He, I, I thought he ran the routes. He ran some good routes. He, he created some separation. And he looked – and Cam looked like he was trusting him. I think he had already – it already is clear to me that Cam has a better relationship with Harry than Brady ever did. Isn't that clear to you after what, one game? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, it seemed like they actually like each other. Maybe Brady wasn't – I don't know why I'm hating him on Brady so much right now because I actually – he's one of my favorite players ever. But uh, maybe I'm just bitter how it ended. But anyway, so and, and just the offense – the way this offense is structured, I think we're going to see – I don't think – is Harry going to break out necessarily? I don't think so. But I think we're going to see Harry's value creep back up from that dark hole that it was before the season started because people were – there was a lot of hate involved, a lot of hate. I'm buying. I am buying this because I, I can see a lot of people seeing the hairy numbers like, oh, what, you know, this is it, 539 and a fumble, nothing to write home about, and this could be a good buying opportunity because there, I don't think we're going to see 19 pass attempts all season from Cam Newton. I think there's going to be games where he's throwing 25, 30 pass attempts. Yeah, for sure. I think, too, you know, this is, you're talking about buying. I think this is a good opportunity to buy because I can't imagine a Tom Brady-less Patriots against the Dolphins without Tua was a barn burner for anybody to get out there and watch. So people might be looking at that pedestrian Nikhil Harry line thinking like, he's not worth going to get or he's not even worth keeping. So maybe that's a good opportunity to slip in there and buy. But I think, you know, you hit it with Brady and Cam's relationship being better. Brady would have just, he would have been dead to Brady still. Or mm-hmm. again, if he had that fumble at the goal line. But Cam has played with on bad teams for a lot of his career. And I think he's used to playing with players that aren't top caliber, guys that need second, third, fourth chances. He played with Kelvin Benjamin. Come on. Yeah. I mean, if, if he can make Kelvin Benjamin a thing, who we saw isn't good without Cam Newton, why can't Nikhil Harry be a thing who was an elite prospect coming out, worthy of a first-round pick? And I think we saw Cam is going to be the focal point of their red zone offense. And whatever the Frankenstein running back that they come up with also will be. But at some point, they're going to be in competitive games. They're going to need to throw. They're going to end up with a third and goal from the eight where you don't want to trust Sony Michelle to be able to do that or Cam. And who's their best option there? It's Nikhil Harry, who's huge, who's athletic, who's starting to show that he can catch reliably. So I think this is just the beginning. This is like the first baby step that's going to turn into a sprint in the blink of an eye. One of the most controversial wide receivers this offseason was Henry Ruggs, Sean. Are you moving Henry Ruggs up ahead of any rookie wide receivers after his week one performance? 
Or are you moving him down? Or are you moving him down? I should say. To, no, I'm to gonna I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna keep him in a holding pattern where I'm at. Um, you know, I think he did a good job. It wasn't a stellar game by any means. You know, he had one big play where he ripped off and just really showed his elite speed and ability to get open and just disappear into the secondary. And before you know it, he's got the ball and you haven't found him yet. So I think the the biggest thing is you know top receiver. He only had three catches, but. I think his ability to stand out in that offense is what is the most telling. Because last year, it was just the Darren Waller show. By default, because it was supposed to be the Antonio Brown show. And I think everyone came into this season and were partially down on Ruggs because everyone just thought, well, Darren Waller is getting 120 targets, so who does that leave? And I think Ruggs is showing that Waller isn't going to get 120 targets. It's not going to be Darren Waller and the Wallets and everybody else. It's just, it's going to be more spread out. He's going to demand more consideration and he's going to start getting into a rhythm with Carr. They're going to start getting used to each other because I'm going to say it again. I feel like a broken record at this point. The lack of preseason means a lot for this timing, this rapport. It's easy to do that stuff in practice. But when it actually matters, when there's money on the line, that's when it counts. And the more they do this, the more it's going to come. But I'm not willing to move him above five. Because Lamb, Judy, Rager, Jefferson, even though... Rager came in. He didn't do a ton. He had that big catch. He would have had another one for a touchdown, but Wentz totally blew the pass. He was hurt. Jefferson, totally pedestrian day, but I still think the ceiling on those guys in their situations is a lot better than Ruggs. So I'm I'm in a holding pattern with him right now. So Higgins and Ruggs were literally back-to-back in my rankings uh, to start the season, and Ruggs had already climbed significantly up because as I mentioned too in the previous episode about the article I wrote about Henry Ruggs and just basically look, I went and I looked at all of the previous non-breakout wide receivers since 2003. And then I looked at what the similarities were, what their difference was, what successful non-breakout wide receivers looked like. And then I went and I compared them to Henry Ruggs and Henry Ruggs either a compared to all the successful non-breakout wide receivers or was a truly unique player. And so that's why he's kind of a unicorn for me. And that's why I move him up. I'm moving him up. And to see, and I know he really only had that one big play, but he had over 50% of the air yards of that offense. Well, only having 18% of the targets, I think he has locked in for that, that role in that offense. And if we have Josh Jacobs grounding and pounding, and and if he's getting targets as well, and then Brian Edwards on the other side, if he even is representative of his talent that we think that he has, Ruggs could have a lot of favorable matchups. And his speed is truly, I think we saw his speed. He even was getting, he got two carries for 11 yards. I just think Henry Ruggs, I think he's going to be successful. I think he's going to be successful. And I just, I really like where I ended up. I ended up with him. And I think if people who are listening to the podcast will have seen how I've kind of changed my attitude on him throughout this process. And I, and uh, Todd's probably sitting there smiling wickedly listening to this because he, <laughs> he loves Henry Ruggs. But I think that I'm really proud of how I think I approach Henry Ruggs this offseason and how much I've, I think I've learned. Uh, so I'm, that's a little personal growth for me as someone who would have had him as a third round or worse rookie pick. So I, I'm happy where I am right now, Sean. Just for refreshing, who do you have above him? Either the top four. Rager, CeeDee Lamb, Okay, uh, that's the same group. Yeah. All right, right on. So moving on to the next one, Austin Eckler. I know we talked about him a little bit in the Josh Kelly segment, but he is worth analyzing on his own because he was a hot target for some potential regression coming in this year as Phillip Rivers leaves, doesn't need that kind of dump-off option. You know, Dave, you bring up a lot that Rivers is historically one of the best quarterbacks at targeting running backs out of the backfield. So – we now have a sample size of what Austin Eckler is without Philip Rivers. How do you feel about him? And then we saw what Philip Rivers did with Jonathan Taylor, and have he had six of six targets there, mm-hmm. and then Naheem Hines went off. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> that is worrisome for the Eckler, the person who has Eckler on there too. I'm trying to not to say owner because I'm trying. To I've been I've been trying to pepper in manager. That's where yeah, I've been trying yeah, to get. That's to. what I. That's my go-to usually. But I, yeah. for some reason, I'm on a roster kick right now. So anyway, I think. And J.J. Zacharyson, like Graham Barfield, I think, or Scott Barrett, one of those two, they always mention how targets are twice 
or even more, sometimes more than two times as valuable as rush attempts are. And if Austin Eckler is not getting the goal line work and he's not getting targets, well, I think we, we, are, we cannot overreact. Do not overreact. I don't think Eckler's getting one target for the rest of the season. That's not going to happen. But if he has his, like, I think we could, we maybe seen a 20% dip. I think that was reasonable expectation. But if we're seeing a 30 to 35% dip in, in targets this season, uh, uh, watch out because this, we, this team isn't very good. Uh, this, the offensive line wasn't as good as we thought it was. And Ke- and Kelly looks legit. So I think we should be concerned about Eckler. I still think he's a good player, but... For me, I yeah. I mean, Todd was far and away the most bullish. It's disappointing he's not here to have to field this question. Um, about Eckler on this show, I think he had said top six potential. Top, I think which eight or six. One yeah, of those two. feels aggressive still at this point, especially now. Um, so if I was Todd, I would be shaking in my little booties, but... I think if you're if you have Eckler and you're pegging him for a high end RB two, I think he still has the potential because you talked about with Ke- Kelly. Tyrod wasn't running. Eckler had the most carries that he's ever had in his career. At some, the passing work will be there, right? It has to be. They didn't give him that money to all of a sudden not catch passes because that's where he made all his money. So I think, I think it'll balance out the red zone work though. I think is the biggest red flag and that if he's not going to be able to pull that and Kelly is just going to week by week establish himself as the more reliable option down there then Eckler is going to be in some trouble so I'd be I'd be a little nervous I think depending where you put his ceiling though because he seems to be one of the players with the highest amount of variability in how people view his ceiling and if you think he's anything higher than a running back two, a high-end running back to the RB 15 ish to 12 you got to be shaken a little bit. That was a tough game to watch, especially when it ended up being a competitive game script. You think they would have had a lot of Austin Eckler, but lo and behold, not as much, not as much as you wanted to see or needed to see. He probably lost people some weeks. Sean, too, we need to remember, too, carries aren't a bad thing. He still had, he still had a decent yeah, amount I mean, of carries. He had, he had 18, some decent, I think. Did he have over 80 rushing yards, too? Yeah, I think he was like 18 for 86, something like so that. So that's not, let's not overreact. To, to, because that's those are good. Like if people, if 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 Todd, if we were, Todd had told us that predicted that Eckler's getting over 15 rush attempts every game, Todd would be ecstatic before the season started. So, and we also should say too, Eckler has a, a very good next couple of games. I think he has a decent matchups too. So where he can, where he should be able to rebound in the receiving department, some a lot of positive game scripts. So. Let's. I could see. Let's not bail ship. Like that's not a banded ship here. But Kelly is concerning for Eckler. It, I don't think there's any way around it. Mm. Sean, one of the most compelling backfields to talk about this off season was the Cleveland backfield. Is this Hunts, Chubbs, or a backfield? Let's try that again. One of the most compelling backfields to talk about this off season was the Cleveland backfield. Is this backfield Hunts? Is it Chubbs? Or is it a full blown RB by committee? I. I think it's a full-blown RB by committee, which shocks me to say. You know, all offseason, I really just, I was buying it that Chubb is the, he's the -the on-the-ground guy, Kareem is getting the passing work, and then whatever situation they're in in the red zone determines who that guy is. So if it's, you know, it's a first and five from, first and goal from the five, you bet Chubb's getting the ball. If they're third and eight from the 12, it's probably going to be Hunt. And it's just, it's shocking to see their splits. And basically that just, they got the same amount of usage. And I think what's crazy about that and what kind of spells disaster and concern here is that their efficiency and everything else wasn't much different. They were arguably interchangeable. Chubb was better running the ball. Well, than well by how we much? He, by how much? Not a lot, but he was better. But, but. Not a lot, I think, is the concerning part. Because all it's showing is that it doesn't necessarily matter who's in. That situationally, they have two guys who can do it all. And I think, at least for me personally, I feel kind of dumb for thinking that it would just be carries for Chubb and just passing work for Hunt. As soon as Hunt signed that deal, I think that should have changed everything. And I'm mad at myself for not seeing that because... They signed him for two years, right? I think it was. When next year, he could have walked 
and tried to get a bell cow contract for himself. And I wish I had played the game of what does that mean they must have told him? Because obviously they offered him a contract because they have a specific role carved out for him. But that doesn't mean that he's going to like it. But he must have because he signed it. So they must have said to him, hey, you're not just going to be the third down passing back, a James White, Chris Thompson kind of guy. You're going to be in the mix. You're going to be fully in. It's not going to be Chubb's backfield and you're his spell guy. You're going to be his breather and his fluffer. Like, you're going to be an integral part of this offense. And he signed the deal. And this is an offense that we saw be really bad. And I think where this is going to start to be bad for the Chubb owner or Chubb manager who took that person in the first round is if he can't keep pace in the passing game. Because if they're going to be splitting carries at like a 50-50 rate, but Kareem is going to have eight targets a game and Chubb is going to have like one, Chubb's in trouble. What do you think? What are you feeling after watching this? I am sad. I'm confused. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Uh, I, honestly, though, I, I'm confused with what Chubb has done in his two-year career. I'm confused with what Chubb has, do, has done to warrant less carries and opportunities in Kareem Hunt. It's mind-numbing. I, and I'm not bailing on Chubb at all by any means, but I, was, I definitely have taken Chubb down my I had him a lot higher in my rankings heading into the season and it slowly chipped away chipped away but I still am not denying the talent that Chubb has and I just don't he he was still 10 for 60 and I know he had a fumble but 10 for 60 is nothing to shabby at all on the ground and they split the snaps even in a bad game script so think about it in a worst case scenario as far as game script for Chubb, they still split. They still split the caps or the snaps. So I don't think this is the end of the world. I would be pretty peeved that in a losing effort, Chubb didn't say, "Why weren't you giving me the ball more? Why weren't you putting this on my back?" Mm. I could have cared. I look what I've done for this team. Come on, let's go. I am the. I'm the guy. Chubb has earned some respect, and he needs. I'd be upset if I were him, and I, I think maybe this is just a jaded fantasy owner or fantasy manager. And I'm just going to conclude with saying that Baker Mayfield is killing me. He's (laughs) killing me. You are ruining this for me, Baker. You're ruining this for me. So I have two Chubb-related questions for you. The first is, right? we talked a lot, me, you, and Todd about, and this was more towards the OBJ debate than anything else, but with Stefanski coming in and what we know about his splits, how he runs things and everything, that was going to be bad news for OBJ, which... That's not this question. The question is, is that this seems deliberate, right? It's not like Chubb got banged up, so then they put Hunt in and Hunt was pretty good. They rolled these guys out with a game script. They had a plan going into it. Because it's a new head coach, does that give you an extra level of concern? That this is just their intention. This isn't a one-week snafu or outlier. That this is it. This is the Stefanski game plan for 2020. I think when we talked about Stefanski in the past, he likes the ability, kind of like with Sean McVay, he likes two tight end or that package where you can run or pass from it. And to do that, you need to have a more, like a Dalvin Cook is extremely versatile. I think that they think that Hunt is a much superior pass catcher than Chubb, and they're willing to sacrifice on the rushing aspect of it. And I think that is a conscious choice. Uh, out with Kareem Hunt. I, I do think that's a conscious choi- choice. But I think that Chubb is good enough where he can go out there and he can take this back. I, I think he is. I really do think that he's be- is better, hands down, better than Kareem Hunt. I, I really do. All right. So that leads me to my second question because I'm in a different dynasty league where somebody today threw Nick Chubb on the block. They were just like, all right, um, offer me something. This is terrifying. You have Nick Chubb in the league that we're in together. Mm-hmm. What would you be when? What would you be willing to accept? What would it take for you to trade him now? I'd probably want to have DeAndre Swift involved in that deal. And how much is the difference between DeAndre Swift and Nick Chubb? Maybe not a lot for some people. I, I think I, it's gonna, I, need a, I need a rookie running back involved. One of those top right. rookie running backs involved. Like a rookie running back plus a wide receiver three? Or a draft pick. I'll take a draft pick. Or a draft pick. All right. And I might, and I'd be, I'd be even willing to do a two for two. Like I don't, like uh, I don't not oppose to throwing something back overall too. Because I, w- I was, I was low key shopping Chubb all off season, interesting for rookie running backs. But 
more to do with, I think, that Chubb's value had peaked. But that was about it. Quick question. Scale of 1 to 10, how strongly do you agree that Gardner Minshew, mustache mania himself, will be the opening day starter for Jacksonville in 2022? So I've been relatively optimistic about Gardner heading into the season. And a lot of that is to my uh, friend of the sh- to our friend of the show, Alex Deshanes, at underscore Deshanes on Twitter. Uh, I feel about a 5. That's where I am right at 5 out of 10. And I think most of the fantasy communities at a one or a two. That's how I think how I think he's a legit caliber NFL starting caliber NFL QB. That's how good I think he is. What about you, Sean? I'm a I'm a little bit higher. I'd give it like a six or a seven because I think it's going to be a convergence of two things. The first is everybody had them pegged for being the worst team. The number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence, like locked, loaded, put it in, done. It's the same conversation everybody was having about Miami last year. And what happened? They came out and they won. They beat an indie team that was supposed to be pretty good. And I think Gardner is going to end up, and you know, not just Gardner, but the whole team, they'll play their way out of those top picks. And that'll be part one, is they won't just have Trevor Lawrence to look off. But this is also a team in desperate need of a facelift. Right, Tom Coughlin came in and just drove that thing into the ground. I think Gardner is the right fit. He's the right personality. He's this, like, let's win. Let's give it our all. And we're going to have way too much fun with it. With the jorts and the cutoffs and the mustache and the splits. Like, just unbelievable. So I think he'll be good enough where they could look off quarterback in the draft next year. Because they have four picks in the top two rounds. And they could say, we're going to use these to get some foundational defensive pieces, some offensive line pieces. And we'll roll with Gardner for the next year or two. And we'll kind of put that piece in later. Sean, I love the analysis, but I'm talking, we need rapid fire, my friend. Rapid. Like, let's, More than let's go. Okay. Oh, I'm talking quick. Like, Let's do it. All right. So next one. Changing of the guard and tight end at tight end in Philly. Because Goddard blew up this week and Zert, Ertz was kind of pedestrian by his own measure. Glass jaw and all. There is no denying Goddard's talent. That's never been an issue. I just really wish defenses would occasionally focus on him instead of just triple coveraging Ertz. Maybe this defense can start paying attention to Goddard a little bit. And it can be more of a, I think it's going to be more of a 1A, 1B situation. I still think Ertz is slightly ahead, but Goddard believers have to be happy. Todd is, I think Todd's probably missing this more than anything else. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what about you, Sean? Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think, you know, Ertz is Ertz, and all Goddard is doing is showing that he is that 1B to his 1A, and he's forcing them to have two tight ends on the field a lot. Um, so I wouldn't say this is a changing in the guard per se, but from a dynasty perspective, I think what can't be overlooked is these Ertz contract negotiations that broke down to the point that Ertz and the GM, Howie Roseman, were having a screaming match on the field the other day about it. I think it's very possible that Goddard is the 1A and the 1B because next year there is no Zach Ertz on the Eagles. All right, quick. Uh, is Juju still a top dynasty wide receiver, Sean? Yeah, how's this for quick, Dave? He never wasn't a top dynasty <laughs> wide receiver. <laughs> That's quick, my friend. And that, and just for everyone to know, that is in bold on the show sheet from Sean. Oh, yeah. It was originally in bold because Dave spelled my name wrong and left everything in bold below it. So I just didn't correct the boldness because that's how hot oh, I, feel I did. Wait, did I spell all your name wrong in this entire show sheet? That's, uh, you know why? Because I actually was texting Sean, Todd's brother. That's. Uh, I know I know how to spell your name. I, I cannot believe I messed up. <laughs> I, I'm actually pretty pissed about that. Uh, I don't know why. But uh, so I'm just, I agree. So he's still a top six wide receiver. He was a wide receiver six for me in Dynasty, which I feel like was pretty hot going into this. I'm still puzzled why Johnson had four more targets than Juju after we saw what Juju was doing with scoring the two TDs. I, I think Deontay Johnson's good. I'm not, there's no denying that Deontay Johnson's good. I just don't understand what, why Juju's that's just was to pause why he didn't get wasn't number one in the target totem pole in week one that's it uh Sean a lot of doubt was surrounding uh Russell Wilson volume in Seattle this offseason are you buying an increase in pass attempts this season for Russell Wilson after what you saw in week one yeah 100 percent um because I think Seattle is Seattle they've made it a point to kind of come out and be a similar team this year to who they were last year, but I don't think they're going to have the luxury of sticking with that Chris Carson run identity because that division is hands down the most competitive in football. And if you're playing the Niners twice, the Rams twice, and the Cardinals, who looked pretty damn good on Sunday, twice, 
you're going to need a lot more rust. You're going to have to let them cook, as they say. Oh, that's that has been so think, popular recently. Yeah, and I think the, these wide the you know, Metcalf. Um, oh my God, bail me out here. Lock it, lock it. Thank you. Plus, I mean, Greg Olson, Will Disley, they were in the mix. Olson had the touchdown. I think there's just too many good weapons not to lean into it. All right. So, of course, Pete Carroll comes out after this game and pledges more chances for the running game after Russell Wilson dominates through the air with on 35 attempts. Classic poodle. Why? Why, Pete Carroll? What about winning by that much makes you have to say that? What didn't you like, Pete Carroll? What didn't you like? <laughs> Uh, I, okay, maybe he's just trying to keep people happy in that backfield. I don't know. I don't know why you need to keep Carlos Hyde happy, but that's just me. He should be just happy as a job. I don't. I think what we're missing here is that I think I don't think that Russell Wilson is going to have that rushing potential to go along with this because he had a big r- rush gain too. I think that inflated his rushing stats a little bit. I think I'm not. I don't think he's going to be like a top three QB, but I think top five is. I think this is a top five QB season for sure for Russell Wilson. It'd be crazy not to do it. You, we, we've seen it do. It'd be crazy. So, and he's Mister Unlimited. So let's do this. All right, Sean. I think this is our last question. We're, we're here. It? So Cam Newton tumbled down the dynasty rankings during free agency after being let go by Carolina. Is he a top twelve dynasty QB after his two rushing touchdown performance against Miami in Week One for the New England Patriots? No, um, you know, that was great to see. And I think based on that usage, I mean, they have a, they have a tough schedule this year. Um, but if he can have that rushing viability like he did and he can look as good as he did doing it, I think he could be a top 12 QB this year. You know, he could be like, he could sneak his way into 12. Um, but I don't think I could put him that high for dynasty. I think nobody willing to really give him a contract this past offseason is glaring. You know, there's all those concerns about how everything finished up with him in Carolina. Was he lying about the injuries? What, what was going on there? And I think even though old school Cam looks to be back, his injury history, his age, his play style, but knowing just the uncertainty that the future has for him, like if you told me right now, Dave, or anybody told me that Darth Hoodie is sitting there being like, this worked out, I'm going to give Newton a three-year deal and I know that's going to happen, you are a liar. Nobody knows what Belichick is going to do until Belichick does True. it. True. And I don't think a competitive team, a contender team, is going to say, you know what, this is who we need, let's go get Cam, three-year deal, and he's going to get like a Bridgewater kind of contract. I think just too much has happened already. In my mind, being unavailable means he's just going to be a headhunter at best for a team that needs a placeholder guy. And those teams aren't going to be very good. So I, don't, I just, I don't think he can climb back up that high for me. So top 12 QB, it was difficult. I tried, I I was, I felt like I had been pretty pot high on Cam all off. Even when he was a free agent still, I was holding out hope with Cam. I still liked Cam. I have no qualms whatsoever about moving him. He was my QB 18 heading into the season or heading into the season, which I feel is pretty decent for Cam Newton, knowing all the question marks surrounding him, his health, contract, everything. I now have him, I moved him up to QB 15 after one week ahead of Goff, Cousins, and Daniel Jones. Uh, any chance to move Daniel Jones, even though he was fine, <laughs> he was he was fine in week one. But what what about Cam's performance? Yeah, he only had 19 attempts, but that's he was vintage Cam Newton, in my opinion. Maybe he didn't have as many big runs, but the way he played was vintage Cam Newton, QB 6, in a game where he only threw 19 times. I think that's pretty good. Cam is back, baby, and he's going to he's going to be the late round QB that wins people leagues this year. He was it. We kept on asking who the late round QB is. Cam Newton is it. Late Joe Burrow, who we talked about, I think might have an opportunity to. But I think it's definitely Cam Newton's the guy right now. Yeah, I don't think you can say anything about the 19 pass attempts too, because the final score makes that game look a lot closer than it was. He didn't he didn't throw over 19 passes because he didn't need to throw over that much. Let me ask you this about Cam and his dynasty value. If he is not the starting quarterback for the Patriots in 2021, where is he the starting quarterback? That's a good question. Uh, It's going to be, I have no idea. I just don't know why if the Patriots have a good season with him, why they wouldn't re-sign him. They're going to have plenty of cap room next season. Yeah. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think. I I could see him going off and replacing Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Ooh, that's it. I was going to say Chicago, but that's Chicago interesting. Chicago could be one. Yeah, that's actually a really good Indy, one. Indy if Rivers decides Indy is another good one. I Oh, my God. Can you imagine Jonathan Taylor and Cam Newton together? I don't think I can. I'm wearing jeans that are a little tight. <laughs> All right, Sean. Well, hopefully by this time next week, when we record next week, you're going to be a new dad, man. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. The baby seems to have other plans, but... That's that's the idea here. I've been waiting long enough for it. Well, Quinn and I, and I'm sure Todd and Joanne, we are all extremely happy for you, my friend. I appreciate it. We wish it. you and Katie nothing but the best coming up. Best of uh, good health to Katie. Good health to the little one. And Sean, I hope you stay sane, man. This is going to be tough. This yeah, tough. I'll, and, uh, I'll do my best. I have my therapy session with you once a week, though, and that's nice. So you're already, you're still, you're planning still on podcasting, huh? Even, even as a... I'm not going to be working, so I feel like I can convince the wife to let me carve out a two-hour amount of time (laughs) just to just to myself. Wow, interesting, Um, interesting. Or I might just be doing it, and you guys will have to listen to the baby cry. There we go. Okay, there we go. Well, all right, man. Well, I had a lot of fun this week, my friend. Where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me over at Twitter, sleep deprived at ff underscore walrus. just Sean with a W coming at you, despite what Dave has to say about it. Oh God, that was a mistake. What about you, Dave? Where, they, where can they find you in that amazing work you're pumping out lately? Oh, you can find me at FF underscore Spaceman on Twitter. I'm really excited with, to have some actual football content to tweet about. I was really tired of I, I feeling a little down with how Twitter was the last month and a month and a half. It was really tough to like, what do you want me to say? I'm sure someone else already said it five or six different ways besides. And I was just tired of being the drum for AJ Green. So it's been really refreshing to have actual NFL content talk about been a lot of fun interacting with everyone I hope our listeners enjoy this this two a bonus two episode addition to start off the the NFL season Sean we did it my friend we missed Todd you can follow Todd at, at FF underscore banterman on Twitter he's a writer for dynastyfootballdigest.com Todd's loving the Devi content Sean I think it's time to sign off I'm actually going to be recording with the the rookie the Rookie Fever podcast tonight. So Ooh, with Shane Swagger wow. and Ar- at Aardvark TV. Um, Look at you. Mr. Right. Well, let's get you so, out of here then. Yeah. So yeah, I got And I have a dinner party to go to tonight. So let's do this. <laughs> this is quite the agenda. Yeah. Dinner party or just a, a get together. Anyway. So yeah, it's, it's been fun, my friend.